Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. It's our 100th episode. And what better way to celebrate it than to talk to someone else celebrating their 100th. We sit down with Waterford Country School as they celebrate 100 years of caring. And we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. It doesn't seem possible, but this is our 100th episode of Connecticut East This Week. And since we started, we haven't missed a week bringing you the stories and news from Eastern Connecticut. So it seemed only right to find an organisation out there in the region that was celebrating their 100th, and there are plenty of them. One of the lesser-known organisations celebrating 100 years this year is Waterford Country School in Quaker Hill, and this is their story. So joining me on Connecticut East for our 100th episode, we have a very special organisation, the Waterford Country School. And I say special because they are celebrating their 100th anniversary. And joining me to talk about this amazing organisation here in Waterford, Connecticut, is Chris Lacey, the Chief Executive Officer, Ben Turner, Director of Outdoor Education, and Eleanor French, who's the Assistant Director of Development. Got that right all out in one go to the three of you thank you ever so much for inviting us to your amazing organization and happy 100th anniversary thank you very much thank you thank you chris i'm going to start with you because obviously you're the ceo just tell us a little bit about the organization when we were having a tour before we started this you were saying yeah you know still a lot of people don't know about us so tell us a little bit about what the waterford country school does waterford country school is a, a private non-profit child welfare organization So our primary mission is to work with children and families who basically struggle in other settings. So we started as an alternative special education school in the 1920s. Our founding family uh, came from a New York school system and thought that they needed to find an outdoor setting for kids to enjoy and a place where they could thrive um, rather than being in an inner city setting. And we have evolved through then. We incorporated as a nonprofit in the 1970s. And we have been doing primarily child welfare work. So we have always had our school, but we also have kids who live here in our in residence with us on our on our campus. And we have today a foster care program. So we have children living in foster homes throughout eastern Connecticut. We do visitations with families and other social service uh, work that families need to be successful with their children in the community. Now, this is not a secret because this is actually on the website, but you've been doing this for 24 years. <laughs> At this agency, yes, and um, and you've been the CEO for just over a year. Yes. So just tell us a little bit about your background, because clearly very passionate. I mean, you know, we don't hear of a lot of people that's like do, you know, in this day and age, people don't do jobs for that long, do they? We move, move on. 24 years is a significant, I mean, you don't look more than 25, I will say that. But so tell us a little bit about your background, because clearly you're passionate about this. Yeah, I've always worked with children and youth. I started working in a inpatient psychiatric hospital with adolescents when I was in college. Um, I worked for a while up in Maine with uh, children in outplaced from their homes, living in uh, community homes with foster families. 
And when I moved back to Connecticut, where I'm originally from, from Maine, I started working here at the Waterford Country School in our shelter program, which we still operate to this day uh, in the same exact building that I started in here in 1998. And have since just worked my way up here through the organization. I spent a lot of time in uh, Norwich in our foster care program. I was a foster parent myself for about 10 years, not connected with the agency, just something I did through the State Department of Children and Families. So my own children got old enough to sort of take over the house and we retired from that. It's just a passion of mine. I like working with kids. I like to see success with them. I like when, if they struggle in other places, they can come here with us and they can do well. And that's what we try to focus on. I'm going to turn to Ben now, the Director of Outdoor Education. Ben, you've got a great job. I mean, we had a little tour around. There's a farm. I mean, I'm not going to give too much away because, you know, that's what you're here to sort of like tell us about. I mean, how did you get involved in this? Well, I had gone to school in, in Boston, and I, I was kind of a city slicker and worked at many um, different business jobs. And I found a passion in working in human services. So I did some job coaching in Boston and I ended up coming back home to Waterford where I grew up, and I knew nothing really about Waterford Country School. It was um, a place that was talked about very rarely in the community. But I um, ended up coming back here and finding this awesome outdoor education job that, you know, you're outside every day, you're working with kids, animals, the community, and something that I didn't go to school for. I just fell into it, and I found a passion for helping both people and animals. Tell us a little bit of what, you know, your day would look like, because I'm guessing it changes every day. I'm I'm guessing for all of you, your days are probably very different. But just give us a bit of a sense, you know, give the listeners a bit of a sense of, you know, what a typical sort of day or or a day, like we said, is, is for you. So a day for me is different every day. It's a new adventure for sure every day where we would either have class working with the animals or on the ropes course or I may be out in the community helping do wildlife rehab for um, animals that need to be rehabilitated. So a day is, is always different, but the school here has two classes that come to the farm every 45 minutes, and the age range is between 6 and 18. So they're either um, riding horses or taking care of the animals, or some of the clinical staff work with our kids and do goal-driven animal-assisted therapy. So every day is different, and I oversee a couple teachers and a couple um, volunteers and camp staff. And you yeah. all look incredibly young. I know I keep mentioning this. It must be the fresh air out here in the water because uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think we all need to get outside a bit more. Ellen, I'm going to turn to you. You're the Assistant Director of Development. Give us a bit of a sense of what it is that you do because this is a big organisation by way of what has to be done on a daily basis. There is a big team of people here, but you know, this takes money, it takes all sorts of things to keep this all going. Give us a sense of what it is that it's, you know, you're part of. We know that we started from one family. So this is really sort of a family-driven, a family-started organization. And we, although we are a nonprofit agency and we are employed and we all work together and we're co-workers, the the culture of the place, the climate when you're here, is that we do feel like this is a second family for many of us who are here, which can happen when you're here for 20 years <laughs> or, or much longer for some of our staff. So I would say from a d- development perspective, we're always working on how can we tell the story of Waterford Country School? How can we possibly explain that, you know, one family saw a need in Brooklyn, New York, and ended up here in Quaker Hill, Connecticut. And that mission has continued but grown in so many different ways. As I said, there's, you know, you see the name and you think we're a school and we are a school, but we're so much more. There's so many more things. 
separate programs, separate uh, things going on, but all under that same that same umbrella of our mi- ultimate mission is we want to help the kids who are at risk, the ones who are struggling, and if we are going to use nature or our own compassionate care, our relationships with them, our animals, we're going to do whatever it takes basically to get the right fit, the right situation together so that the kids will thrive. And so we don't expect big things from them. We, we basically consider every little success a giant success. So I guess to, to your question, we rely a lot on our community. We have a community of supporters We have really only about two fundraisers a year, and we really rely on those things and the people in our network to to help us to continue the work. Eleanor, I just want to put this to you. I mean, you know, at a, at a time when we're always hearing about funding diminishing for things, you know, for human services in particular, I mean, it's good to hear that, you know, it is there that this facility, you know, 100 years strong, and hopefully it's going to be, you know, many, many more years strong as well. The fundraisers, how important are those to you? Because obviously for the 100th anniversary, we're going to talk about a couple of things that you'd like to obviously kickstart as part of the centennial celebrations. But, you know, how important are the fundraisers? I mean, money's good, but I'm guessing it's community goodwill as well. Very much so. I mean, there there are a lot of work to put on, but the day of, we all have just sort of this great feeling because we know we're going to be in a room with 200 to 300 other people who really embody the same mission and care about the work that we've been doing all year. So it really feels kind of like a reunion, a party, you know, a recap. It's certainly we need funds and we need support, but we just love getting together. And that's one of the things that's obviously been harder in the last couple of years because of COVID. But we had lots of plans and lots of dreams as we were looking ahead to our 100th anniversary. And we're you know, happy to say we're, we're jumping into them and we're, we're launching them. So COVID or no COVID, we, we will celebrate the 100th. It, you're right. It's amazing that an organization that's really about at-risk kids and youth could, could survive all the ups and downs. I mean, went through the Great Depression and, you know, all different things in our climate and is still here to be really serving the same mission. That's what I think is amazing. Chris, let's get back to you. I mean, in the time that you spent here, and we've said, you know, 24 years that you have been with this agency, some of the things must have changed, I mean, considerably over the 24 years or or not? I guess I would say the more things change, the more they stay the same. You know, the, the kids, I think, are similar. Their issues are similar. There's issues of trauma and family violence and predisposed medical conditions that cause kids difficulties. Those things haven't changed. I think our work has evolved. The way we work with kids and the way we work with families have, has evolved for the better. We, are now, we now consider ourselves a relationship-based organization that if we can't have good relationships with our clients and families, we can't do good work. So that's our main focus. And so that drives us to make sure that all of our interactions with kids and families are purposeful and beneficial to them, that um, they should be better off for having spent time with us. And so I think some of the ways we work with families have evolved, but their needs have not changed, I think, over the years. The needs seem very similar to me. And you're reminding me how long I've been doing this now. The kids and the families' needs, I think, are very similar over time. They're not uncommon to anybody. It's how do you fill those needs and how do you do it in a way that is affirming to them, lets them take control over their own lives, and lets them feel successful and confident in what they do. We just get better and better at that, and we hold ourselves, I think, here to a high standard that we continuously want to do better with, with kids and families. So if we know better, we try to do better. 
And Ben, you know, getting back to you and obviously the outdoor education aspects, you know, what are some of the things that the kids really take to? I mean, because you've got so much out there. Like I said, we went on that tour, you've got animals, there's, there's a variety of things. What sorts of things really sort of like spark with the kids? I think the kids can really relate to the animals because they have similar stories as, as uh, the animals. We have a, a pig named Tallulah that was evicted out of her home and um, lost her family. And we have had kids lose their families. And these kids um, know the stories of the animals, and they can relate to them, and it gives them purpose to help them get better. There's an animal, I think, for everyone there. We're an animal sanctuary where uh, we have farm animals. We do uh, wildlife rehabilitation. We have exotic birds. So I think the kids like helping their lives get better. They build houses for them and better enclosures, give them something that they haven't had before. And that transfers into their um, academic classroom work they can take with them it's like usually a positive feature of the day so i like to see the kids find something that they're successful with but it's challenged by choice we don't force kids to do anything they don't want to do so they figure out what works for them it could be in the garden it could be in the nature center it could be helping an injured owl but usually they're part of the process of helping the animals get better and it's really special when we get to see a like injured barred owl get released with kids that help take care of them and that's powerful. What sort of feedback do you get from the kids as well? Because, you know, again, while we were on the tour, uh, they you know, come up, they approach you, you know, they talk to you. I mean, it's all very, very open, very friendly. I mean, what sort of feedback do you get from them? They're very proud of the work they do on the farm. It's um, one of the highlights of their day. So they're um, very opinionated. They let me know if we need better enclosures or have to fix something with their nutrition plan or if certain animals need exercise. I think they're just proud of being down there and being part of something special. It sounds a bit of an obvious question for you. I mean, what gets you up each day? I mean, I'm guessing just this. I'm very fortunate. I I feel like just being able to help both people and animals and being outside, getting fresh air. I think it's good for our staff. It's good for our kids. And it's, um, it's purposeful work. I mean, no matter what program we're talking about at Waterford Country School, everyone that works here does whatever it takes to help the kids, the animals, the families. So that's what gets me out of, out of bed every day. The other thing, Chris, I wanted to mention to you is Waterford Police. You have a good relationship with Waterford Police and basketball as well. So, I mean, I sort of like follow them on Facebook and uh, saw some photographs. Tell us a little bit about the, the basketball, because um, I think they regularly get thrashed, don't they, by Waterford <laughs> Country School? I'm not going to pick on the score, but yes, Water for Police is an organization that we sometimes have to work with. You know, sometimes our kids don't want to stay here and they, um, they take off from our campus and their whereabouts unknown. So we work pretty closely with the Water for Police Department. I mean, that can be stressful sometimes when you're overlapping work like that. So we try to foster a good relationship and we have a great one with them. So um, this started several years ago and I think we did have it last year. I'm not sure because of COVID uh, restricted it. But as soon as we saw that we had a clear path to be able to do that this year and get students out to it, I met with the chief months ago and we talked about this is one of the highlights. They also, uh, for example, have a new, very friendly uh, police dog at the town of Waterford. So they brought him up for the, for the game. And that's just a great resource for us so that when the police come up, you've seen my dogs and a num- we have a number of dogs on campus here. So the kids are familiar with the animals on the farm. And also a lot of the staff's personal pets that they bring in that help bridge a connection between people that maybe a kid doesn't want to approach you, but they will approach your dog. And that's helpful for kids as a proxy sometimes. And I think I see the same thing from the new police dog at the Waterford Police Department. So they brought him up to the game and he wandered around the the gym 
and got to meet kids and very friendly police officer that's a handler and a super friendly lab. So it's just, we want to also be here at the country school, good neighbors with the town too. So, you know, we are a nonprofit, we don't pay property taxes and we do use town resources. So we try to be as best a resource as we can and be friendly and helpful to the town and any of the projects that they have going on that we could be a part of. And how important, of course, is it for the kids as well to have that relationship with police? Because like you said, yeah, every now and again, things are going to go wrong. And, and you know, we've got a great police force here in Waterford. But how important is it for the kids to understand that there is that relationship and that, you know, they, they needn't be scared because that's always an issue isn't it you know they are there to do their job of course they're there to serve and protect but they also can inadvertently come across as a little bit you know standoffish and and we do have these issues here in the U.S., obviously, with the police. So I'm guessing it is an important thing on many levels for you to make sure that, um, you know, you've got that good relationship and that they have that good relationship with you as well, because it's a two-way street. Yes, absolutely. You know, our, the types of kids we work with, it's not unusual for them to find themselves in the presence of police, either because of what's going on with their family or their conduct in out in public. So working with our kids to understand how to best interact with the police is a core thing of what we do here. We're not hoping that they have negative interactions with police, but if they do have interactions with police in their lives, we want to make sure they understand how to navigate that. And so working close with the police department, who, again, the town of Waterford is wonderful. They really have for years and years and years have worked well with us to do that. Um, they understand our kids. They're ha- you know we, we meet and talk with them about the types of kids we have here over time so that they understand what our needs are and how to best work with our kids. So they try really hard to understand our kids and work well with them. And we meet each other halfway. And so that, you know, if more interaction is going to be positive than negative, then that's how you grow the relationship in a good direction. Of course, we've spoken about the kids, but it isn't just the kids that you serve. It's the families as well. Ben, tell us a little bit about how important, you know, that relationship is. Because, you know, you've got this situation where a child having some sort of issue, they're here. But then, of course, you know, it's striking that balance as well with the family. So talk to us about how that dynamic works. How important is that? Uh, We're very family involved here at Waterford Country School. And being on the farm and having families come to special events like cookouts and ropes course programs and getting to see the kids be successful with the animals. I feel like the uh, the families can connect better with their kids when you have uh, animals involved. We have a, a boarding school that serves most of the United States, and parents come in from out of state, and they get to see their kids for the first time in a while, and many times it's on the farm, and the kids want to show them how they can walk the miniature cows. <laughs> You're very humble about what you do. Is that just you? I mean, it sort of, it clearly means a lot to you, this job. Yeah. I mean, I found the, I found the job of my dreams and I, I just, we try to keep getting better every year. I think it comes from our humble beginnings with the founding family. They just worked hard and stayed positive. We're going to get back to the finances again. So that we're not going to be talking money per se, but as we said, it takes a lot of money to, to keep an organization like this going. And you're fortunate that's obviously the funding you know, is coming in multiple directions. But I know that there's a couple of things for the centennial celebration that you want to, to kickstart just to add into that. Let's talk about this thing called the endowment campaign for a moment. Two and a half million dollars, that's the goal. What's the purpose of it? We have an endowment currently and it, I think it functions to help buffer our operating costs, but we, the operating costs keep going up, of course, every year. And so we're looking at how can we position ourselves well for the next 100 years. And so the goal is to double what our endowment currently is. And so we're talking to um, just people about legacy gifts and thinking about 
what their legacy will be, especially the people who've been very involved with Waterford Country School over, you know, the last decades. And we just think that that's, it's the good time to really, you know, position ourselves for the future. I did want to mention, as Ben was talking, that one of the things that Ben took on voluntarily on his own was to try to capture the 100 years of Waterford Country School's history in a book. And he has a publisher and has done all of the work. We have tons of paraphernalia from over the years. Luckily, the family saved a lot of letters and photos, tons of things. So Ben really had the hard job of going through all of that and trying to narrow it down somehow into, you know, what is the right amount to put into a book. But I think that will be coming out this summer and we're very excited to be able to have something that tangibly we can sell or give away and and showcase as our 100 years history. So there's a lot of going, you know, trying to memorialize our roots here, but then also trying to plan for a great and bright future. So and talking of something else tangible, you've got this thing called the Legacy Brick campaign as well. We've got one actually on the table here while we're uh, doing the interview. Very splendid it is as well. What's the again, what's the purpose for that? What do you want to do with that? Yeah, well, we built, we we just finished this beautiful park, our Founders Park right in the middle of the campus, called Founders Park as a, you know, way to memorialize the founding family and everything that they did here. And we had a wonderful dedication last spring where it was the first time in a long time we've had a lot of people be able to get together including a lot of the founding family from all over the world came in for that. So we're now really proud of it. It's something that the kids use every single day and that we're all kind of walking by. And so we thought, why not add an art piece that would kind of be a time capsule for this hundredth year? And so we thought of these bricks and you can buy a brick for a hundred dollars and have basically your own family's name or your business or whatever text you would like put into the brick. And then we will be building some form of art or a pathway at our Founders Park where people can always see it for, you know, again, for the next hundred years, we want to kind of leave that stamp in time as to who was here and uh, how we celebrated and how we're moving forward from here. Well, it's an amazing place. And again, thank you for inviting us because, as I say, it's uh, Connecticut East's 100th episode, but it's your 100th anniversary. But to yourself, Chris, to Ben, to Eleanor, and of course, the entire team who work here every day, congratulations again on your anniversary. And thank you for being on Connecticut East this week. Thank you for having us. For more information about Waterford Country School and their 100th anniversary events, visit their website at waterfordcountryschool.org. And some other Connecticut organisations celebrating their 100 years this year are Lyman Memorial High School in Lebanon, the Mystic River Bascule Bridge, the Palace Theatre in Waterbury and Beardsley Zoo in Bridgeport. Happy 100th birthday to all of you. U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting, a Teenager, Learning the Lingo. Jelly. Jelly adjective. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. 
The warmer weather is here and it's time to give your plants some health care. From mulching to aeration to growth regulator, remedial and preventative treatments against fungus as well as insects like the spotted lanternfly and gypsy moth. Don't be reactive, be proactive. and Keep your trees and plants in tip-top condition to avoid long-term health problems. Find more details about plant health care services. Call 860-234-4041 or visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently, sponsored by... Every number tells a story. A true story. Connecticut by the Numbers explores breakthroughs and challenges, issues and answers. Behind the headlines, across the state, follow the numbers. Connecticut news that counts. CTNumbers.news. U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal announced new federal funding for Esker Point Beach in Groton that will help conserve the coastline and help reduce pollution into Long Island Sound. His announcement came on Earth Day and Blumenthal said areas like Esker Point Beach are important green infrastructure projects. Reducing flooding, restoring habitat, raising trails, providing more planting and protecting a vulnerable area. This area is susceptible to flooding, to storms, and so resilience, strengthening its resistance to potential destruction, is tremendously important. The federal grant money amounts to $725,000 and will be used to replace over 28,000 square foot of non-permeable pavement with a new surface that will allow water to pass through it and filter any contaminants before it enters the sound. The area will also get new pedestrian trails and extensive erosion control measures to protect the man-made coastline and beach area from rising sea levels and storm surges. The new head of Pfizer and Groton had his first public engagement recently at a Chamber of Commerce of Eastern Connecticut business breakfast. Dr. Raja Mangapudi started his new role in January this year and gave an update on Pfizer's work and when Pfizer hopes children under the age of five might be able to get their COVID vaccination. We are in in deep conversations with the FDA to try and and get that younger population in. And uh, I don't have a timeline for when we might be able to get that. It's just a question of uh, the FDA being convinced of the data that we're being provided. Mangapudi also gave an update on a new Lyme disease vaccine they are working on and when that might also be available for the public. So in terms of the timeline, as I said, we are looking at starting the phase three trial in the second half of 2022. And, you know, there are, of course, the the vagaries of enrollment. We can be cautiously optimistic that we should be able to get to market hopefully in the next couple of years as far as the Lyme vaccine is concerned. The Lyme disease vaccine is currently being tested on both paediatric and adult patients and is a collaboration with Valneva, a French specialty vaccine company. The new Lyme disease vaccine does not employ the same mRNA technology used by Pfizer's COVID vaccine and will be the first vaccine of its kind to treat Lyme disease in almost 20 years. Mangapudi also discussed Pfizer's continued expansion in Groton and will be spending over $40 million this year alone on infrastructure improvements. As part of that expansion, they are also looking to add 100 jobs to the Groton site as well. 
Scient Federal Credit Union is merging subject to regulatory approval. Scient is the third largest credit union in eastern Connecticut and will merge with the much smaller New London Municipal Employees Credit Union. Chris Maynard is the CEO and president of Scient and says the merger began last year and they're hoping for a decision soon. As of today, awaiting that regulatory approval with the NCUA and the state of Connecticut, we could have the NCUA approval as early as this week. We did submit that package back in March 8th. Maynard also says the merger is a way for smaller credit unions to navigate the shrinking financial and banking services marketplace happening across the nation. All of the technology is very tough to keep up with when you're a smaller entity. You just can't you know, have the staffing or the expertise to be able to do that. And it was great that you know, the board and the CEO in London recognized that, being proactive and trying to control their own destiny as finding a partner as opposed to having a regulatory agency come in and make that decision for them. Once Scient receives the National Credit Union Administration's NCUA approval, a vote by the members of the New London Credit Union will be needed to make the merger official. Scient currently serves 20,000 members in Connecticut and will add another 500 members from the New London Credit Union and will open a new storefront branch in downtown New London later in the year. That's all from us for this 100th episode edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at connecticut-east.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms, on demand, and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East This Week podcast. And please like, follow, and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for getting us to 100 episodes and for continuing to listen. And we'll catch you again next week. 